Landowners and Anti-Virgilians Draw inspiration from the vineyards of southern Europe Bring an empirical scientific approach to traditional agrarian practices And make a catastrophic mistake when it comes to the practice of manuring Oh god, it's time to talk tall to me And it's all over me There's so many mistakes you can make when manuring. What's that smell? Oh, it's just talk told to me. <laughs> it was a terrible mistake I made. Welcome back. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Tell to Me. A radical series of innovations in the agricultural arena of prog rock in which nitrogen-fixing Nick and organic Omen... Tend and harvest and preserve every single crop that seminal prog rock band Jethro Tull has ever planted. Every song a seed, every well-ordered field and album, Nick and I will till, aerate, irrigate, fumigate, perforate, rotate, and celebrate our way through the entire Jethro Tull discography, from the hunter and gatherer days of stand-up all the way down the line to the hydroponic systems of .com. Nick and I will burn the Barlow biofuel, ride the glasscock grain elevator, and get covered in Martin's mulch, all for your listening pleasure, and to ensure that Farmer Anderson's flute is never fallow. We will be sure to titillate. You please be sure to hydrate. <laughs> Nick! Omen! Welcome back to the fringes of civilization here on the bonus tracks of heavy horses that's it the fringes of heavy horses yeah heavy horse fringe we're really we're really in the in the bushes like on the verge of the of the field next to the next to the roundabout yeah you you can't really plant anything here i it'll just be stumpy and sad but i mean it's a it's a useful tract of land at least it's great for um the songbirds yeah yeah, pollinators. You can plant some wildflowers. Sure. That's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And boy, have we. Oh, have we pollinated so many things. Speaking of pollination, no, I got nothing. But we do have some stuff to go over before we dive into the episode at hand. We've got Mary and Marley, if you don't mind. Mary and Marley. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mary, that's a very fetching swimsuit you have on. Doesn't leave much to the imagination. I got it when we moved. I think it's. I think she's got part of the um the new talk tell to me merch on Omen. That's right, the talk tell to me bikini. That's right, very special, limited release. Only Mary bought one. Freeze up my movements when I'm fatting off the the crocodiles. (laughs) Those are those are alligators, Mary. Please, there's a difference. Embarrassing yourself. So that was the that was the thing that I wanted to mention is we've got merch now. We sure do. It is our logo on anything you want, basically. Pretty much. You can, it's uh it's on T Public. You can go to T Public, T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot com and search for Talk Tall to Me. Or there is also a link in the show notes. We've got two designs that can go on t-shirts and mugs and pillows. Unfortunately, no bikinis. Mary uh, Mary bought them all. She got the, so many. She, she got the entire stock. 
one for every day of swimsuit season, I think. That's right. And, and you know, so for more. all of you maximalists out there, and I know you're listening, what would be more satisfying than listening to Talk Tall with me? What's our podcast called, Nick? Talk Talk Tall to me. What would be more satisfying than listening to Talk Tall to me in a Talk Tall to me t-shirt? While drinking from your Talk Tall to me mug. While drinking tea from your Talk Tall to me mug of tea. tea yeah. Mug. Shockingly, or maybe, I guess maybe not so shockingly, we I think we've sold more mugs than t-shirts. Uh, that doesn't shock me in the least. Not 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 based upon our... Our listenership. I lost electrons hearing that news, Nick. <laughs> I'm bored by how banal that that fact is. <laughs> but that's a that's it, it is also exciting at the same time. It is. Um. So yeah, if you want talk tall to me merch, go and get you some. It'll be the envy of your friends, the annoyance of your spouses, and the constant source of a warm feeling in your tummy when you gaze upon it go get that merch and when you receive it take a picture post it on instagram and tag it hashtag tttm merch tttm merch minus one t talk to me merch h yeah that's exciting news super exciting also nick there's something else that's exciting what would that be we the constellation above our heads is constantly growing. The astronomers are writing us angry letters because they cannot keep up <laughs> with how many stars are in the sky. Sir, sensors have detected another star in the sky. Dear Lord, that's five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. That's right. All the way from the American state of Texas, Brian B. writes, Best podcast ever. <laughs> he continues, Okay, so that might be a little hyperbole, but I absolutely love this. I run across this podcast when streaming... <laughs> For Michael Collins, Jeffrey, and me, when Michael Collins died. I started at the beginning and just finished Black Satin Dancer. I love the witty repartee between the two hosts and enjoy listening to them talk about the nuances of the songs. I've gotten a much better appreciation for the lyrics that I've been listening to for many years. My first exposure to Tull was probably hearing Bungle in the Jungle on the radio in the early 80s, and my first CDs were Aqualung, Broadsword and the Beast, and War Child. Gradually filling out after that. You guys are awesome. Keep it up. I think it would be War Child. War Child. I think I I am so sorry, Brian B., that was more of a... More of a Georgia, um, Louisiana accent than Texas. But, you know, hey, at this point, you should know that accents really are not our strong suit. <laughs> and so, so do what you will. But, but thank you so much for the review. And I apologize. Thank you for the review. And thank you for... Thank you for the jumpstart. We love, love, love hearing those. They're all, at this point, they're all fairly similar, but we love, I guess, the reinforcement of the fact that... Jumpstart. It's jumpstart. 
jumpstart and tow me away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's it for loose ends here and there. That's it for a little housekeeping. Before we dive in... Oh, wait. Uh, Omen, what is the song we're doing today? The song we are doing today, Nick, is Horse Hoeing Husbandry. Is this one you've never heard before? <laughs> That is correct, Nick. This is a new song for my ears. God, I love that thing. It's so good. It's nice. We've got a new song for you. However, before we dive into the song itself, I want to give us a, a little bit of info before we dive into the talk of it from straight, literally straight from Ian Anderson's mouth. That's right. I have an audio clip of Ian talking about, of all songs, this song. This is an actual audio clip, not all the times that we've cried wolf and one of us has done a silly voice and then said it's an audio clip. No, this is a real audio clip. That's correct. It is from an interview with Fanny Kiefer, who is a Canadian broadcast, apparently broadcast legend on her show Studio 4. And sure. uh, here's just a tiny little clip of Ian referencing. Yeah. So this Jethro Tull character, he, uh, 18th century gentleman who invented a seed driller or something yeah, like that? He was, um, he was an agronomist, really. That was his mm -hmm. uh, trade. He was also an amateur musician. He played uh, organ in his local mm -hmm. church. And it was from an old church organ, dismantled and lying in a corner, that he took the various bits and pieces to put together to invent his first seed drill, an automated drill for putting seed in the ground. And most famously wrote a book uh, called Horse Hoeing Husbandry, which was really a a sort of primitive economic treatise on, on the, uh, the most efficient ways of farming, using crop rotation and, and trying to find ways of, of mm -hmm. maximizing the use of a small sure. plot of land. So he kind of wrote the book on what has become um, traditional farming. Horse Hoeing Husbandry. Yeah. That's a good name for a band. It's a little Maybe bit of a mouthful, long. isn't it? I'm thinking. I, did, I, I did actually once write a song called Horse Hoeing Husbandry. I think it's still in an old notebook somewhere. <laughs> <clears throat> but the lyrics, it's just something you wouldn't want mm. to sing. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's not wrong. Real quick, a little more on Horse Hoeing Husbandry, the, the book. So, Nick, you did do some research on I this song. I'm disappointed bit, in you. A little bit. Published in 1751, and the full title, I'm just going to give you the full title. That's all we need to talk Please. about. You know how they're, they're, all of those books from, from back then are, it's like, horse hoeing husbandry, or blah, 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 yes. blah, blah. Yes, that's also yeah. how I named my essays in college. I am in no way surprised. So the full title of this book, Horse Hoeing Husbandry, or... An Essay on the Principles of Vegetation and Tillage, designed to introduce a new method of culture whereby the produce of land will be increased and the usual expense lessened, together with accurate descriptions and cuts of the instruments employed in it. 1751. By the OGJT. That's right. I actually believe that there was a previous version, maybe a non-complete version, published even a little earlier in 1731. Oh, are we going to get into that? We are going to get into all kinds of stuff, Nick. Okay. All kinds of stuff. Before we get into that, let's get into the song, I think. Let's do just that. Our song husbandry Repent. 
Nick McGill. I'm insane. Horse hoeing husbandry. Holy heck. Holy, holy heck, Hancho. Horse hoeing husbandry. Um, uh, why don't we, as strong men do, talk about our feelings? Oh, God. I feel this song is, I think there's a reason this song came out forever after it was officially done, for officially recorded. It's not quite up to snuff as to what we've heard on Heavy Horses. However, I really dig this song. Do you? I do. It's a lot of fun. Interesting. Musically. Musically, it's a lot of fun. Do you have the emotional space for me to talk about my feelings? I would I'd much rather people talk about their feelings, and I don't have <laughs> that way I don't have to. I know, I know. <laughs> That's what alcohol is for. <laughs> I ag- agree wholeheartedly with Ian Anderson when he said that the lyrics of this song is not something that anyone would want to sing or listen to. Yeah. And I also think that this is probably my least favorite piece of music that I've ever heard. <laughs> Come from Jethro No. Airplane? Think airplane. Think I haven't heard Sunshine. Airplane. Oh, you haven't? Ooh. No. Sunshine Day. Did you ever listen to Sunshine Day? Yeah, I prefer that marginally to this. Do you seriously? Oof. Yeah, musically, absolutely. Wow. Let, let's play Sunshine Day. Let's let's recap Sunshine Day real quick. That's awful, but at least it's fun. Yeah. Ugh. Horse horse hoeing husbandry, I feel, is wow. is awful and very serious. <laughs> it's very serious. It's dour. If if I could listen to it without the lyrics, I'd be all the happier for it. If I could listen to it without the music and without the lyrics, just uh, that would be fine with me. Just four mi- four minutes of silence. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about what there is to talk about. It does seem, and you know, all credit where credit is due, this is obviously not one that Ian was like, oh yeah, let's put this on an album. People will love it. Yeah. He judiciously hid it away from our ears until we somehow pried it out from underneath his his dragonous body. For that. Yeah. Sometimes it's less, it's best to leave sleeping dogs lap. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It is best to do that. Yeah, you're right. It does give me the impression of a rehearsal take. I don't yeah. feel like this was a fully fleshed out song. And like, I feel like it is being played under tempo because it maybe is the first and last time that it was ever played by this group of musicians. Like they played it and then we're like, well, never have to do that again. We don't even need to practice this with this one. Let's chuck that in the bin. But if it had been polished, perhaps it would have been a, a bit more interesting. Yeah. There are some interesting things going on. I don't know if it's Steve Wilson's hand or Ian's or Martin's or or whom's. But the beginning has that, that big chord, which I think is maybe just a, an electric guitar panning left and right. Yeah. In the it, ears, which is kind of fun. It's a weird, like, like a resonant. Is it? Did you say electric? I, th- I thought it would sounded like an acoustic. I, I don't know. It could be. I don't know. It's some. Yeah. I feel like it's a guitar with a filter. Maybe it is an acoustic mm. guitar with a filter. The left comes in, 
stays there and then a right comes in and then another left comes in and then the song officially starts. Yes. Weird resonance. There's the organ that comes in shortly Mm -hmm. after that. Oh my gosh, John Evan is is banging on this song. It feels to me like the style of this feels to me like something that was recorded a little later on. Mm. Uh, maybe even during, you know, some of the sounds remind me of Broadsword and the Beast. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I can't, it's hard to say, it's hard to put my finger on it, but yeah. just some of the some of the organ settings maybe and the chord changes, the little musical turns that are done, they seem reminiscent of more of the 80s to me than the Heavy Horses period. Yeah, whether it's piano or or, or e- organ to keyboard set on piano, when it's, when it's on that piano sound, like it's very broad and sweeping and very lovely. It's, it's doing a, a bang-up job of replacing what could very easily be D's strings. Yes, which are notably absent from this song. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably never reached the point of getting to D where they said, hey, we need strings here, you know? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was abandoned much much earlier than that yeah. part of the process. It does seem to me also like there are a couple of cuts in it, like it was recorded, mm-hmm. maybe pieced together yeah. out of a couple of different uh, sections. My favorite part of the song is probably the one-note bass riff. That ends in a in a little glitch sound and then goes into the breakdown, which I actually like a lot more than the than the rest of the song. Yeah, that last minute and forty five, that instrumental breakdown is awesome, but it is such a distinctive like boop. We're gonna chop this and plop it in, and and they they phoned that edit in so bad. Yeah, so there is the tambourine and flute that come in, and and for me, they really they really make a big difference in this song. Like, and we've seen this before, where we have kind of a a more serious. I mean, we could look at Velvet Green, even you know the the, mm. the lyric section of Velvet Green is a little bit darker and more serious, quote unquote, and then the the instrumental breaks into a little bit more lightness. Sure, sure, sure. There's there's a lot of lightness going on in that in that breakdown. It's it's there's a lot of lot of flavor and depth. That's the that's the meatiest part of this song. I agree. I wonder if Martin is not on this track because the electric guitar does not sound like him. It sounds like Ian laying in a dummy track to play to Martin later on and then Martin to do it really well. I, I I would say the exact same thing. Yeah, it is. I barely even noticed that there was electric. That's how non-Martin electric it is. Not that Martin always takes over when he plays. It's just that it's always very distinct. Yeah, he's got such a signature sound, though. You can tell that when, when you do hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's assuredly Martin. Yes. This, again, this has all the... This has all the markings of a rehearsal kind of scratch recording. Yeah. That was to be used as for, for reference later on. Talking about the guitar though, the the acoustic is is very lovely. I mean it's sure. It's not Ian phoning in acoustic. It's very nice. Well, I mean it's it it's still real musicians. Right. They're just playing. It's just, you know, like 
It's almost like a peek behind the behind the curtain. Yeah, it's a practice. Yeah, at the rehearsal process. There's something very dirge-like, though, about the pace. Uh, yeah, it, it does trudge a little bit, yeah. So we, we start out with that acoustic and the piano. That's where, where yes. we start. Eventually, at like the second or third line, bass, drums, and... Oh, and that's when the electric come in as well. Yes. And then that's really it for the most of it. And there is that really weird, the first of the weird cuts or lack of transitions is where it, it goes through and, and does some of the the verses. And then it drops into this weird like bass, drum, and bass, like bum, bum, yes. bum, bum. And then he goes in again and he gets a little more sweeping with the lyrics and the rest of the musicality. But it just, it's just all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Yeah, it's a funny one. It it is. It does feel. This feels more like archaeology, musical archaeology, than you know, a, a fully furnished piece. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it is. Yeah, it is. We. It's we. On top of that, it's there's so little known about this song. You know, there's it's Ian talks about it once. You know, there's there's little to go on in terms of knowledge. So it it is more speculation than anything else. But what we do know is that it was one that he admitted in an interview yeah. was just some random thing that he wrote and had no intention of ever performing. Yeah, that that's a pretty valuable piece of information, yeah. So, with the musical part out of the way, shall we talk about the lyrics? I mean, if we can. I think we can, and I okay. think we should. Now, I do think, though, we should admit that we couldn't find lyrics online. Yeah. Official lyrics. And so this is our best guess. And and you you did the le- the legwork of going through and writing down what you believe to be the lyrics. And I think you, I think you got it for the for the most part. There was one part where I where I think that you heard one thing, and I think there was a slightly other thing. Yeah, there there were a few moments where Ian always drops and muddies the ends of his sentences. Sure. So you basically you go on the sound of the grunt and trust to the rhyme scheme. And and you try yes. like you try and fill in your own word based on the context, and and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Well, this is why we have lyrics printed in album covers. Yeah. Oh, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I was going to say that the that the song is um, polymetered, but but yeah, no one ca- no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> I do think though that we should talk a little bit about for a change. Jethro Tull, Esquire. OGJT? OGJT. OGJTESQ. Indeed, yes. <laughs> All right, yeah, it's been a while. Let's talk about let's talk about him. It has been a while. So as Ian stated, Jethro Tull, OG, 1700s, was an agrarianist, an agrarist, an agrarist. I, I, agrarian, agronomist, agricult- agronomist. Ag- agriculturist. I've seen it all. It probably all means roughly the same thing. I like agronomist. Yes. It sounds very, very archaic. Agronomist. Agronomist, agronomist, agronomy, agronomy, agronomy. <laughs> That's better lyrics. Yeah. Okay, so Nick, let's talk about agriculture. Yes, let's. Back in the day... We didn't do it. 
And then, okay. and then we did all of a sudden. And then we did. <laughs> and from that point, it went through a couple of different really big innovations. One of the earliest treatises on the practice of growing things in the ground and keeping animals, which is broadly referred to as husbandry, the word mm. coming from two words, one of them Norse, basically hus, hus, and bioni, which is like house and worker, so like a worker who owns their house, mm. i.e. someone who runs a farm. Mm -hmm. So Virgil, your friend and mine, who guided Dante Alighieri on his Divine Comedy, the Roman poet Virgil, wrote a tract called the Georgics. Oh, yes, the Georgics. That detailed, it was a, it was a, a an informative poem that he wrote that basically described farming practices. And that was used as the basis among the reading peoples for, you know, the proper way to approach agriculture. That's par for the course for those super ancient writers. Like the Greeks would write great long books about all sorts of things, animals and sure. plants and the weather and the heavens and Pliny, Pliny, Cato, Cato, Plato, Pliny. Yeah. The classics, the, yeah. the, the you know, the guys, those the guys, Greek guys, those guys. Yes. But the Georgics was, was one that held a lot of power in Western civilization and it described a number of practices and specifically when it related to tilling mm. or hoeing, which is breaking up the ground so that the seeds can go more easily into it. Virgil recommended basically as little tilling as possible. So you just kind of would agitate the ground with your hoe, the whole field, and then you would just spread the seed just by throwing it at mm. the field. And then you would hoe it a little bit more with a, a, a hand tool just to kind of cover up the seeds. Yeah. Tull, when visiting Southern Europe and saw, seeing the grapevines, observed the practice of planting grapevines in rows and the cultivation of grapevines being planted very specifically in rows. And he had kind of a brain moment and was like, well, what if we did that with all of our crops? We, we refer to those as ideas. Oh, yes, a thought, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and it was kind of revolutionary. And so he brought this idea back to England and started experimenting with it. And so instead of just tilling up the entire field, throwing some seed at it and retilling it, he would say, all right, let's just till this would till in a straight line mm -hmm. and rather and then to make that more efficient we'll actually hook up the plow to a horse i.e horse hoeing husbandry you see yeah. where this is going nick yeah because hoe is uh, hoeing is is putting a line in the in the dirt is moving right. the dirt aside yeah and so by tilling up just a row and then planting the seeds in more sparsely one at a time that's where the seed drill comes in he was able to save the amount of seed that was used while simultaneously increasing the productivity of yeah. the fields. The seed drill was specifically invented, apparently, because he would tell his uh, laborers, okay, plant one seed two inches down every three inches apart, and they basically <laughs> hated him. And were like, why would we do that? That's crazy. And so he was like, you know what? Fine, I'll just invent this thing that does it for me. And they were out of a job. Which was funny because that was their fear about his inventions is that they were going to put them out of a job. And apparently there were yeah. a lot of conflicts between he and his laborers. But all of this was toward this idea that you could 
year after year make scientific improvements to the practice of farming, which would not only increase profits, but also increase the just the ability to make food and and serve the the world. It was essentially like was it Mendelssohn who who did evolution with the peas, basically, because you could you could learn as things happen. It might be Mendelssohn. Let me look that up. But yeah, basically, okay, this worked, this didn't in terms of farming and in terms of genetics. It's if I breed this and this, this is the trait that we get. Gregor Mendel. Yes. So what these practices allowed was agriculture on a different scale, which allowed civilization really to move from a more subsistence model into a more overproducing model, which which spurred on things like trade. And so his the agricultural revolution that Jethro Tull was on the forefront of really laid the groundwork for the industrial revolution. His practices were put into pra- his his ideas were put into practice in the cotton plantations in the American mm, South. Okay, you know, so you can see the direct kind of evolution yeah. of this. Aside from subsistence and and subsistence and abundance, I think it's a matter of being able to to reliably do something that will yield so you can know, barring unforeseen circumstances, you can know what you're planting, what will yield, as opposed to, like you said, that kind of spray and pray method of like, oh, there's a corn plant over there. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. To read a little bit of an excerpt from a, a later a publication of his book, the editor writes, it would be to go too far to give Jethro Tull credit for modern agriculture because our modern understanding is the result of countless and often forgotten or nameless researchers and developers. Technological mechanized agriculture, that foundation on which modern agriculture is built, being the product of scientific thought, would have been invented by a scientific person sooner or later if Tull did not do so. Yet it is no small praise to say it was Tull who invented the tools and discovered the knowledge required for mechanized agriculture. So he started a movement that was developed into a really worldwide change in the way that civilization operated. That editor sounds like Stephen Peacock. It was. <laughs> Stephen Peacock's first job was in the 1800s, republishing Jethro Tull books. Yeah, that's, what it, that's what it felt like there. Yeah. So, Nick, yeah. if we at long last go back to the lyrics. Yes, that. Horse hoeing husbandry, mm-hmm. prepare the way for the profit maker. Mm-hmm. Horse hoeing husbandry, prepare the Well, if you have massively overproduced a crop and figured out how to preserve it and transport it, you can start making profit on a different scale than you have ever done before. Yeah, you're you're not just you're not just producing food for yourself and maybe your neighbors to trade for some eggs. You know, you are you are going beyond and it, it is becoming a profitable venture for you. Yeah, you're not going down to the market and selling a bushel for a for a goose. You are destroying the economies of faraway countries by overwhelming them with grain. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's subsidize this and flood the market. Yeah. Right. 
So black figure economy, I believe it's red letter day undertaker. Mm. Kind of gives me the impression of by this simple, quote unquote, simple innovation of strapping uh, a plow to a horse, you can create an economy which destroy red letter day is, is refers to holidays on the yeah. calendar. You know, if it's written in red, it's a holiday. And there used to be a lot more of them. And then they have been reduced over time, as I think the economic model has overtaken the traditional model of life. And so I, I sure, yeah. perhaps what he's saying is that the economy, the black figure economy, is the undertaker to the festival days where we all get to relax. And black figure economy, is that saying making a profit? Because if you're in the black, you are you're you're above even, you know, you're if you're in the right. red, you're negative, obviously. I think so. I think yeah. that's exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. The coin is tossed and spinning last? Fast? Fast? I don't know. On paths of clay and fields of sand? The coin is tossed and spinning last On paths of clay and fields of sand Well, I think that perhaps what we could draw from that contextually is that what these techniques allowed you to do was to take a piece of land that was previously thought to be uncultivatable mm. and literally turn it into a profit. Literally turn, literally by turning it. Turning the land, yeah. Turning the land. Because he he was a proponent of deep tillage, which would bring up nutrients. Of course, the thing that he was off on was he didn't believe that manuring or any kind of adding nutrients back into the soil was necessary. He just didn't have a deep enough understanding. He thought you just had to pulverize the soil small enough to get it to be more accessible to the plant roots. And uh, so, sure. as we have seen in agriculture, there is not enough attention to the health of the soil in our modern mechanized agriculture, as yeah. the editor says. And so we end up impoverishing the soil when we do this for years and years. But the thing about this style of agriculture is that for a few years, it works really well. Oh, sure, yeah. But it, it's even... Because it works so well, it's even more detrimental if you yes. don't do something to to uh, offset it. You know, crop rotation is is huge. Yeah. So, I mean, the rest of these lyrics are, are a bit confusing for me. Mm-hmm. Better die a begotten man, better woman, bird in hand. Begotten means to to be brought into existence. Maybe you're you're a made man because you're a businessman at this point, as opposed to just living season to season in terms of bringing in your crop for yourself. Right. It's better to have left a legacy behind you, which is exactly what OGJT did. Yeah. He left a, a massive legacy. Yeah. It's not a race we also ran... It's it is super convoluted. I it works better as a poem than it does as lyrics for a song. The lyrics themselves feel like this rough draft of like, okay, I I, I wrote them on the back of a napkin. Let's let's let's, let's give go her ahead a and shot. sing them. Yeah, I agree. And yet there is thematically a lot there that relates to the Jethro Tull book, the book horse hoeing husbandry. Mm. So uh, my 
theory is that Ian Anderson did some research and found this book, Horse Owing Husbandry, and read yeah. it or read some of it and was like, oh, my gosh, this will make an amazing song because, of course, it will. And then tried it out. And, you know, not every song is a winner. Right. Yeah. No one expects every single song to to be an automatic aqualung. There have to be hits and misses. Otherwise, he's not going to be learning and he's not going to be building on on what really does work. Just like how Jethro Tull learned how to farm better. Just like how Mendel learned how to how to to understand genetics better. It's it's all the same thing. So, Nick, I want to go out so far onto a limb that I need protective gear. Oh, my God. Please do belay on. Let me goggle up here for a minute. I Is it meta-appropriate to draw a connection between Jethro Tull's contribution to a radical and scientific approach to agriculture and Jethro Tull's systematic approach to rock and roll, which destroyed the system or attempted to destroy the Georgic simple traditional system of rock and roll that came before it discuss are you saying that for the first couple of years they really dug up that soil and got some super powerful albums and then by the time the 80s hit the soil was dead dead. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. i i realize now that that is that, (laughs) that is maybe what it sounded like i implied no but i think that you know the thing that jethro told the uh agronomist was good at even though he made some you know massive mistakes because he had a misunderstanding of basic uh, organic chemistry is that he tried things and see if they saw if they worked and then adjusted them i mean think about mellotron mellotron is the seed drill of rock and roll nick it plants the seeds of notes more efficiently into the soil of our ears okay i'll give it to you i'll grant you that (laughs) Begrudgingly. Keep it away from me. I don't want it. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, yeah. They also both had their critics, you know, as as Rolling Stone has been critical of Jethro Tull, the rock band. Jethro Tull, the agronomist, also had a numerous, a large number of critics who were very angry that he was doing something different, changing the traditional ways, and had theoretical disagreements with him. Much like Jethro Tull, the band, it was controversial for its time, and its time thereafter, its prime. I think we can very coincidentally tie these two together, but <laughs> I think I, I think it's just a nice a nice com- a comparable trajectory. I I'm guess. plowing in the soil as deep as I can on this episode, Nick, and I'm and I'm coming up with nothing but nothing but dust. And we're barren. We're barren. We, we're in fields of clay. No, uh, paths of clay and fields of sand. Well, let us rotate this crop on to the next week. Yeah, I recommend everybody go listen to the song at least once. Just experience it. And then uh, and that's it. You don't ever need to hear it again. I also recommend that everyone go and read Horse Hoeing Husbandry or an essay on the principles of vegetation and tillage at least once. I, I don't. I don't recommend that. That's... <laughs> That's asking a lot. Although a lot of our listeners are are way, way better versed and and research heavy than we are. So, I mean, maybe they have read it at this point. Apparently, uh, in the last century, when they did some excavation on Tull's farm, 
Jethro Tull Esquire's farm. Ooh, they really? found an experimental plow buried under a bunch of dirt in a oh, shed. Oh, oh. And the theory was that his workers stole it and did away with it because they hated it so much. I thought he was so embarrassed by it that he, he hit it. <laughs> oh, no, I think he was really into all the things that he created. I think it's very, I wonder if Ian's story is true about him taking a pipe organ and disassembling it and turning it into a seed drill. I wouldn't be surprised. He sounds like one of those early wacky scientists who would do something like that. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's exciting. Which is funny because Mellotron was actually an old seed drill machine mm-hmm. that was disassembled and turned into a, a, a soulless mechanical singing man. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I shall name him Ian Anderson. <laughs> listening to next week next week is we haven't done one of these in a while it's a double track oh my goodness and they're both instrumental oh that'll be fun yeah we're changing things up a little bit we have quatrain and then the botanic man theme Ooh, i love a botanic man I love I love a good botanic man would throw a little uh, orange bitters in there, maybe a little, little seltzer water. Yeah, I could go for a botanic man right now. Absolutely. <laughs> Until next week, you don't have to invent a whole new system of praising us. You can use the old Virgilian traditional system of going onto iTunes and giving us a five-star rating and a positive review. To really reach the most nutrient-rich area that you can don't just scatter your stars across the internet go to apple podcasts plant those five stars right in a row and you'll get the most bang for your buck that way contrary to what jethro tall would tell you it is in fact necessary to occasionally fertilize your podcast crop Mm -hmm. with one dollar five dollars on the patreon it will You know, it seems like you're just throwing poop at a field, but I tell you what, it is an investment that's going to pay off next season. I mean, it will, it'll pay off immediately. It's already paying off. Access to the Discord, access to to two extra podcasts a month, plus the backlog, plus the live listening party that we're planning if it hasn't, if it hasn't happened by the time this, this goes. But you know what? We'll probably do another one. So, and frankly, what else are you going to do with all that manure? What are you going to do? We'll take it off your hands. We'll take your poo. Until next week, I am the handful of seed thrown nonchalantly over the shoulder into a field, Omen said. I am the flock of birds that will inevitably eat almost all of that seed, (laughs) Nick McGill. This is the disassembled pipe organ that is Talk Tall to Me. And we are the remnants of a machine that was uh, stolen and buried. Feckless Mumps. Doom, doom, doom.
Oh my god. Oh, I'm so. Harold. Harold, oh. you look well. Martin, I am exhausted. Are you? You will not believe what Jeff Rotal has me doing. Oh no, I keep telling you, gotta get away from that loon. You, he's got this weird machine in the back shed, and I'm walking through a field, I'm digging holes with this machine, I'm planting a bloody seed in there. A seed in a hole with a machine? Well, it just seems like a lot of extra work. Watch this. <laughs> this isn't even your master's field and you're still working. Well, I, I just love it so much. It just feels so right. You know, people have been doing it for thousands of years. Can't be wrong, can it? It can't. It can't. You get at least three tomatoes a year with that method. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Three. Three. Maybe maybe three, four. We don't even know if this seed drill is going to work. We don't know. And what if you get too many tomatoes? What What are we going to do? What are you going to do with all those tomatoes? It's madness it is. It's the devil's work. I'm going to be picking tomatoes until I die. What? And then they're just going to rot? Oh, no. I bet he's got some kind of fancy system for Satanizing them. Oh, are they Satan tomatoes? Satan's tomatoes is what I've heard down at the church. They're red. He does strike me as a bit of a witch. What with his sciencing. Oh, yeah. And he took apart He took apart the organ. Do you know that? He oh, took right. apart the organ. The organ what with we used to praise God with? We can't sing to Jesus no more. How's Jesus going to bless our crops without an organ to sing his praises? How does he know how much we love him? I'm so scared. I'm scared for my soul, Martin. My God, there goes one of those infernal devices without a human running it. <laughs> Let's bury it in the shed. Let's bury it. We'll put a warning sign on the shed saying, Don't go in here. Oh, yeah. Talk told to me is a proud member of the feckless momes. Um, there is it. Why don't we say audio network? That'll really scare him off. Yeah, no one knows what that means. Yeah.